Welcome back to MGO Radio. Well, not back, but two. It's nine point ten. Welcome to MGO Radio nine point ten. Though some news just broke. Uh, Chris Partridge has been fired by the University of Michigan, so he clearly knew about the Stallions thing because this is the only way, reason that you would fire a person, right? Uh, mid-season, unless there's some other fresh hell out there. <laughs> I hope not. I mean, it's possible that he covered up as opposed to knew about it, but either way, yeah. Well, in any case, um, <clears throat> Partridge is out the door, and I don't think that necessarily has a ton of impact on anything that's happening this season, but obviously about the scheme, he'll probably get show cause, and I don't really know what the NCAA is going to do here because they uh, there's no precedent for anything like this. Um, so it is the realm of speculation, and I think we've done that enough. So let's move on. Uh, you may notice that there's someone else here. Richard Hogue is with us. Hey, Richard. Hey, Brian. How are you doing? Good. Uh, we were going to have you on to talk about <laughs> the, the hearing. That is one I accepted. <laughs> that is no longer happening. But before we actually talk to him, let's thank our sponsors. We'd like to thank Underground Printing for making this all possible. Stop by and pick up some gear. Check them out at ugpmichiganapparel.com or check out our selection of shirts on the mgoblogstore.com. Let's not forget our associate sponsors, Peak Wealth Management, Matt Demarest, Realtor and Lender, Human Element, Ann Arbor Elder Law, Michigan Law Grad, the Phil Klein Insurance Group, Venue by Forum, Widewood Organic, Sharon's Heating and Air Conditioning, Signal Wire, where we are recording this, and Tom Brady's new app, Autograph rewarding fans where you can earn rewards for things like reading MGO blog and listening to our podcast. So um, Richard is a lawyer. <laughs> we thought we would talk to a lawyer about all this stuff. Do you think Michigan's decision to not pursue the restraining order has anything to do with this Partridge news that just broke? I think it's certainly possible, right? When it happened yesterday, when Michigan said that we're not going to go through with this, after how strongly they had positioned themselves earlier in the week, you did have to ask the question of whether new news had come out somewhere. And it's certainly the kind of thing that you fire the linebackers coach the next day. Sounds like it's the same story. Now, I'll, I'll use allegedly and sounds like perhaps more than some, because I don't know that we can know for sure, but... Yeah, it's certainly not a great look. I don't think it was a great look for the university yesterday because of how strongly they had come out originally to just say, no, we're not going to do it anymore because Jim Harbaugh had a press conference that said, I just want to say my side of the story. I just want to say my piece. And then you don't do that. I don't think any of that looks good together. But there are reasons like new information or like the fact that the legal system just is never a guarantee, no matter how strong you feel about your case, where a university could back down and say, look, we're not interested in either potentially losing or going through a major divorce family law type lawsuit with the conference for what could be an extended period of time. Once they don't get that TRO before the Penn State game, lawyers also would have been telling them that maybe the the court isn't so inclined to find harm here that you might have hoped for. And so you wind up in a situation where you're fighting mom and dad at the conference of the NCAA, and you don't know that you're going to win, and you're worried about new information, you're worried about the investigation and what's going to come out. And that's part of what leads to a situation like this. Now, the folks on Twitter or X or whatever you want to call it would also add that they could be guilty of sin. And they they realize that and they're they're hiding it right now. But I don't know that we have any reason to believe one way or the other, other than that Michigan isn't going to litigate this any further. So it kind of sounded like, I mean, you mentioned they're that the judge may not have been inclined to issue a TRO because of the harm. It feels like Michigan might've had a better case if they were like, okay, you can't go to the big 10 championship game instead of suspending the head coach for the three hours of the game itself. And at no other time, because it's a, it's a, it's a punishment that hasn't moved Vegas Lions one iota. So is that, is that a correct reading there where it's like the conference's punishment might not be bad enough for, to warrant a TRO? Well, I mean, let's talk about temporary restraining orders just a little bit, right? So I think when we talk about things online, we tend to get more into the what we would call the merits of the case as to whether the Big Ten acted appropriately or what the NCAA did and what they can prove and what they haven't in due process and all the things that Jim Harbaugh talked about in his press conference. But a TRO is a special equitable use of court powers that 
it doesn't want to do. Courts, by their nature, are conservative, not politically, but in terms of their use of power. They don't want to step into a voluntary association's use of its powers and things like that. So more than wins and losses, more than Vegas lines or anything else, you have to go and tell the court, even before you get to the merits of the case about what the Big Ten's allowed to do, that if the court doesn't step in right now, the people involved, in this case, the university and Jim Harbaugh, will be irreparably harmed. Irreparably meaning that the law, the justice system can't fix it, which can mean when from Harbaugh's perspective, from the university's perspective, that he's not on the sidelines. He doesn't get to coach. The kids don't get his coaching. Maybe that's wins and losses, but you're basically arguing a more ephemeral kind of standard. The law can't give that game back. We can't give Penn State and Maryland and Ohio State back. So yes, I think they might have a better case if the Big Ten had done something stronger, right? I think the Big Ten, part of what you see in those letters is them lawyering up a lot too and trying to figure out a way that they can do what they want to do, which is suspend Jim Harbaugh and somehow get away with it, right? So they do it on the Friday before the the game. They do it by changing what the initial letter says. So if you go and you look at the Big Ten letters, they first say 11.1.1.1, the bylaw in the NCAA that says the head coach is responsible for everything is how we're going to get Jim Harbaugh. And Michigan says, no, that doesn't apply. That's not how the Big Ten rules read together with the NCAA rules. And then by the time the Big Ten actually launches its suspension, it's not arguing that head coach responsibility rule anymore. It's saying that Jim Harbaugh is, for this purpose, the University of Michigan, which is also a novel legal theory. And I would have liked to have seen that litigated because I think it's interesting. And I think Michigan probably has the better side of that argument at the end of the day. But when you get to the point where you're not sure about anything and your sportsmanship policy really is that broadly written where it does say a lot of things that suggest that the Big Ten can do whatever it wants, then if you're Michigan and maybe you find something out about Chris Partridge, maybe you find something else out that we don't know, you say, we're going to back down now and Jim Harbaugh is going to have to accept it. All right. Um, <laughs> I mean, I... Yeah, I mean, I think what you're you're telling us before, and I what you said on your channel was um, that it sounded like Jim Harbaugh himself had a much stronger case that Michigan. And Harbaugh has a stronger yeah. case than the university, right? Yeah. Because Big Ten says we can punish the university. The university signed up to the sportsmanship policy. That's great, and the Big Ten has the ability to punish people that do bad things, but they don't have this kind of crossover, no mens rea, no no mind state required that the NCAA bylaws have, and that's new this year anyway. So there's questionable applicability to that, to the prior years of the Wild Stallions affair, and there's questionable applicability of it in general. The law doesn't love contracts that don't require you to have actually done something wrong, but the law does like to validate contracts that are entered into voluntarily by parties. So if the Big Ten says, yes, this is all right, the commissioner can do this, has this total authority, and the... University also agrees with the NCAA that says, yeah, the, the head coach is responsible for everything. Mostly a court is going to look at that and say, well, that's pretty stupid. You, you're very vulnerable, but you agreed to it. and We're not going to fix it for you. So Michigan could have been being told that at the same time. So I do think once the Penn State game passes, they start to think their chances are lower. And then if more information comes out, they get more concerned about that. Then that's how you wind up in a, a kind of settlement situation. And, and what's really interesting from my perspective about those two statements that came out is that it's not at all clear to me that there was an actual legal settlement between the parties because ordinarily when you have a legal settlement between the parties, you either have a consent right to the statements that go out into the public for both sides, right? Michigan would have to agree to what the Big Ten says and the Big Ten has to agree with what Michigan says, or you have an actual public statement that is agreed to as part of that agreement and that's all that goes out and each side says that's our statement. That did, clearly didn't happen, right? The Big Ten statement is very kind of preening and we're the self-righteous ones and the university backed down. And the university's statement is a little bit different and says more like we have a legal settlement and they've agreed to stop the investigation and all these various things. So it's a weird situation. And I would guess that it came together pretty fast from Michigan's standpoint, whatever they found this week, right? They said they had this meeting yesterday morning, whatever they found this week might've changed their calculations Settlements aren't unusual because litigation is a terrible way to settle disputes. So mostly you want to have a contract between the parties. So that doesn't surprise me, but it does surprise me in the context of how angrily the AD and the president went out this past weekend, right? That, that is a stance you take. That is a presentation of force. Mm -hmm. And if you wind up here, that's probably not the stance you would have wanted to take if you knew that in advance. 
Well, it looks like Michigan can't get out of its own way. Thanks, thanks, Richard. Uh, it was nice talking to you. Yeah. Hey, you know, hey, a big sigh after I get done speaking is pretty normal in my line of work. So, yeah. hey, there you go. Um, should mention also, Richard, since the last time he's been on our podcast, um, when I think he had fewer subscribers than we did at that point, that has changed. And he's got a podcast called, uh, sorry, a YouTube channel called, uh, well, I think the YouTube channel is called Hogue Law, right? But it's Virtual it is. Legality is the show. And yeah, um, I, do, I do Virtual Legality to talk about legal things, which has happened with the Michigan stuff because we went through the bylaws and we went through Rule 32 of the Big Ten and we did various things on the channel to talk about those issues. And then I also have a show called Hangouts and Headlines where we talk about media response to things, which has had a lot <laughs> to say about the University of Michigan football team in the last couple of weeks. So I have a playlist you can check out at the channel if you're interested in more from me on this called Wild Stallions. Um, and uh, it's four videos long and you can you can dive deeper into those conversations. But yeah, I, I had not anticipated when I woke up yesterday that Michigan would back down yesterday. And so this has already been interesting today. And I think, Seth, when you and I were talking about appearing on this show, mm -hmm. That was just before that happened, and then that happened, and I said, well, we're going to have to talk about that, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, no, I was expecting to talk about hearings and talk about equitable uh, injunction standards and irreparable harm, and we just didn't get there. I know. I, I learned so much about law this week that I, don't, I have nothing to do with. I... <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I appreciate you coming on. Um, appreciate Absolutely. you at least, you know, lending some understanding to what, you know, what happened here and where what Michigan's stance was and especially the perspective of, you know, I, if there's any other takeaway here that solving this litigiously is probably not the best way to do it. And at least, you know, hopefully there has been some sort of contract between the Big Ten or at least understanding between the Big Ten and Michigan to end that side of this thing. And we can kind of move on to the NCAA doing their investigation. You would certainly hope so. Yeah, I mean, the, the one major takeaway I would offer is that regardless of what you see on the internet, uh, it is not a guarantee that the Big Ten found some ace in the hole or Michigan found where all the bodies were buried and that's why this happened. There are other reasons why this can happen. And so don't assume that this is the death knell for this entire affair and the NCAA or the Big Ten are going to, absolutely crush Michigan. There are reasons outside of that where you just don't want to pay the lawyers anymore. You don't want to be in court against your conference. And it's not necessarily the apocalypse for Michigan. It's not well, a great day. Richard, this is the internet. The we assume things and then we just go ballistic online. That's how we do it here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't deny that. I do see that a yeah. lot on online. Not necessarily just from you, though, Seth. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, we were talking about the whole, I think the big Michigan stance this whole time was that this is an ongoing investigation and that the Big Ten was un, was not right to act punitively uh, before the investigation was complete. I think it stands to reason that an ongoing investigation would turn up more information and that information might also change the Big Ten or Michigan stance. Yeah, I mean, you see settlements in most civil disputes because that calculation continues to change and things get narrower and narrower and narrower as you get up to litigation time, right? So something like 95% of civil disputes settle because you're only really going to court, you're only paying lawyers and going through that whole process. If both sides have a reasonable and rational understanding of their chance of success that are different, that both sides can come to a different calculation and not be absolutely nuts to do so. That's how you get into a legal dispute with a trial because nobody wants to spend that money on lawyers or that time or be in the public eye for this, right? Michigan would rather not talk about this anymore. There's no <laughs> question there. I don't know. Brian seems really interested in talking about this further. <laughs> oh, I got a preview to finish. So we got to get, get through this podcast. <laughs> All, right. All right. I look forward to reading it. Uh, thanks Richard. <laughs> yep.
Want the perfect game day outfit? Underground Printing has unique, great-fitting U of M apparel and officially licensed apparel from legendary Michigan names like Woodson, Howard, Eufer, and more. UGP also specializes in custom printed apparel and promotional items for groups, events, and businesses. Whether you need one shirt as a gift or 1,000 shirts for a charity walk, Underground can customize almost anything for groups large or small. To learn more, visit Underground Printing in one of our three convenient locations around Ann Arbor or online at undergroundshirts.com. It's painless. It's online. It's group ordering made easy for your next custom printed apparel order. Pogo from Underground Printing will save you time and hassle. Whether you're selling shirts for a fundraiser, organizing a large event, trying to collect sizes and payments for a family union, or, you know, ordering a whole bunch of shirts with your Kickstarter, Underground Printing is here to help. Save time and hassle every step of the way with their easy-to-use site. No more guessing what to order, chasing people down to pay, wasting time trying to sort out the order. They'll set it up. You can just sit back and relax. They'll even take care of individual shipping. To learn more about Pogo, visit them at any of their convenient locations or at pogo.undergroundshirts.com. Hey, it's Nick Hopwood, Certified Financial Planner, Founder and President at Peak Wealth Management. Check us out at peakwm.com slash mgoblog. When you're watching the game, everyone knows what the score is. But you might be at halftime of your career. Do you know what the score is? Are you winning or do you need to play catch up? If you're behind in the second half of your career financially, we may need to run a hurry-up offense like John Navarre in the 2003 game at Minnesota or run a three-quarter court press after a made free throw like Coach Howard likes to call. My team of CFPs at Peak Wealth Management are here to help you understand what the score is and what you need to do to win. Your spreadsheet doesn't tell you the score like we can. If you're going to spend all your free time watching replays of the 2021-2022 Ohio State games on repeat, you need to outsource your financial planning and investing with us at peakwm.com slash mgoblog. At Peak, our goal is to help you retire with peak confidence. The only thing we can be sure of about the future is that it will be absolutely fantastic. I'm thinking of the incredible breakthrough made possible by developments in communications. Arthur C. Clarke's 1964 vision is now reality with SignalWire, a cloud platform that enables developers to build the applications that will reshape the future of communications. These things will make possible a world in which we can be in instant contact with each other wherever we may be. You can add cutting-edge, real-time video and audio to any product, website, or app application with APIs and SDKs for developers of all skill sets. SignalWire is optimized for high quality and low latency communication functionality, video, voice, and text messaging capabilities. Almost any skill could be made independent of distance. Men will no longer commute. They will communicate. See for yourself at SignalWire.com. Use code 2021 and receive $25 in developer credit. Go to SignalWire.com. SignalWire Communications OGs. Original geeks of programmable communication. Welcome back to MGO Radio 9.10. We now turn our attention to the Maryland offense which has Talia Tungavailoa around for the third straight year. And he appears to be the same quarterback he has been the last two years, Alex. Yep, nothing really new from him. Uh, the team around him has changed a little bit, so that affects some of the outcomes, I think, for the offense and, and him specifically. But he is who he is. He has his moments where you think, man, I wouldn't mind spending a fourth or fifth round pick on him in the NFL draft, see how it goes. And then there are also times when you're like, nope, this guy absolutely cannot play in the NFL. And it just alternates kind of back and forth over the course of a game. But the big story for me with the Maryland offense is the skill position talent, especially a wide receiver where it's just a little bit worse than it was in past iterations. They had a run of some pretty dangerous guys. Obviously, last year was a wide receiver room that we were all kind of hyped up about in terms of seeing what it could do with Rakeem Jarrett and Dante Demas, and it had uh, Jacob Copeland as well. Those guys all graduated, so you're left with kind of a new cast of characters. Uh, Jay Sean Jones being the only familiar one, I think, to more uh, attuned observers, but they've also got Ty Felton 
um, and a couple other names. Corey Deitch is the tight end, but they just don't really threaten you the same way that past versions of this offense did. Yeah, and I mean, the thing with Tagovailoa is that he will throw five or six good passes, and then he will, I don't know, throw a pass directly to Josh Proctor on a five-yard hitch. Not that I'm still mad about that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I I mean, he's... He's always been the same guy who, you know, he's calmed down a bit. But, like, I used to call it ta-ta time because, like, as soon as he gets a little bit of pressure, he just starts running around in the backfield. And this guy could run 30 yards behind the, you know, behind the line of scrimmage and then chuck it in any direction. And it causes a lot of interceptions. It causes his team to get into the red zone and then have to kick field goals goals or even punt. Um, And as much as it's gone down he's still kind of that guy it's just I mean he's short so he has a hard time getting the pass over his lineman and you know he he has to a lot of times you can bat his passes down and whatnot and I think a lot of times his accuracy goes because he cannot throw on platform just because he's on the run his offensive line's terrible he doesn't have a good angle to throw it to and I think that's what causes a lot of the inaccuracy with him yeah, and then their ground game is, I mean, it's pretty much the same as it's always been. Roman Hemby is still around. Their offensive line is eh, okay, and they use the run as usually a sidelight, and it usually kind of goes in a hole against teams at the level of Michigan. Yeah, Hemby and the other running backs are not really the kind of backs that are going to make a lot out of nothing, so it often depends on what's going on with the offensive line. Uh, they had a, a number of really good pa- uh, run-blocking snaps against Ohio State, which was really interesting because they had nothing going on against Penn State. So a little bit of variety for them. I will say for their offensive line, I am quite surprised at, at the manner in which it's held up. I expected it to be a total disaster this year. It's It's been okay here and there, but it's definitely not a line that you have to fear in any way. And um, so I, I don't anticipate the running game doing a whole lot against Michigan. Uh, just because the running backs aren't the most exciting and and the line is only middling at best. Oh, the, well, the problem with the line is just who's going to be on it. Because every single week, it seems like yep. they throw a different guy out there. And if he's not doing well, they throw another guy out there. Uh, Amelia Moran is, you know, the probably the starting left guard. But we put four guys on the chart um, who've all started games this year. They've tried to put, you know, the tackle out there and move the tackle inside. Like, they... They still have not figured it out as of last week. Yeah, they have eight different offensive linemen who have had at least 290 snaps, which right. is yep. weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> their, le- their left tackle, Delmar Glaze, is the only guy that's really been at one spot the whole season. The other four slots on the line, there's two or three other guys that play most snaps. It's just like, where are they playing most snaps? <laughs> and they're moving around. They have two, three, four different guards, a couple different right tackles, two centers. It's pretty all over the place. It's a, an, an odd situation. Yeah, the, the right side of the line that they're starting, one of them is from North Carolina Central, and the other one transferred from Frostburg State. Yeah, and they're oh. not anywhere close to the worst linemen we've seen this season. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, Alex Drain, who knows knows a thing or two about atrocious offensive linemen. <laughs> well, the weird thing is you you hop into Pro Football Focus and they have four guys who are grading out as really solid pass blockers. So you'd think with Tungavailoa on the team, you would just roll with those guys and then patch the hole with whoever you feel like is a solid player because they have a huge drop off after those first four guys, and then it's the other four guys are all bad to terrible. I, I have a little theory on that, that it might be a little bit of a mirage because Tonga Veloa, you have to mosh rush him. And pro football focus is very much a, you know, did you win or did you not win your pass rush, which is a good way of doing it usually for pass rushing. But I think their numbers skew sometimes when you have a quarterback who really the biggest threat of Tonga Veloa is that he gets outside of the pocket and runs on you. So there's probably been a lot more conservatism from the pass rushers that I think is holding up their pass blocking more than the talent on the team, which I guess is relevant, right? It's going to matter in our game as well. Yeah. um, So this will at least be something like the Purdue game where the opposition is going to attempt to throw the ball down the field. And 
in the lead up to the Ohio State game. I very much appreciate any team that's actually going to run a real offense instead of just, you know, Penn State. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's really the, the story of this offense is that they're the first offense really that has a decently competent passing attack and a quarterback that wants to throw it down the field. I mean, Purdue was probably the closest thing to it thus far. And eh, <laughs> the quarterback <laughs> play wasn't good enough. The offensive line play wasn't good enough. Um, but I think Jamie mentioned on Sunday that uh, Deitches and Jayshon Jones and Caden Pro- uh, Prather are all very high in the receiving uh, yards for Big Ten players. And the reason is Maryland's one of the only teams that even tries to throw the ball. So it's it's probably the best team you could ask for to play a week before Ohio State, if you're looking to sharpen up uh, the tools in your in your pass defense department, because they're the first team that's got a quarterback they trust to throw deep often, and and that actually attempts to do so. Yeah. Um, all right. I think that just about covers it. Let's take a break. Let's, yeah, no, no, no. Let's do defense because I want to get hoops in the segment. The next segment. All right. Yeah. Well, that's fine. Maryland's yeah. defense is. Unpredictable. <laughs> <laughs> now we've done the defense. Let's get it. Okay. Now, <laughs> uh, I mean, this is, this is a team that just beat Nebraska 13 to 10, uh, although they had a lot of help from the Nebraska quarterbacks turning the ball over constantly. But they've also given up just buckets of points to various football teams, including 51 to Penn State, which is like, how does that even happen? Well, there's some defensive stuff in there, but they got 400 yards. How does that even happen? Uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's a mystery. It's not that much of a mystery having watched Penn State because you saw Hack- Hackenberg. Oh, my God. <laughs> They're all Hackenberg. Every Penn State quarterback is another version of Hackenberg. Um, yeah, we, we saw Aller just kind of, you know, when he can stand in the pocket and throw, he's accurate, he's fine, he makes his reads, he's got that five-star arm. They, you see what made him a ranked, uh, highly ranked quarterback in the first place. And Maryland is not a good pass rushing team. You know, they're uh, the, both their ends are like 260 pound guys who are just guys. Um, one of them's a Florida state transfer. The other guy, Kellen Wyatt gets uh, moved out all the time for other dudes. And they're all just kind of mosh rushers. And then at tackle their uh, their best tackle, I think is Jordan Phillips, who I wrote a hello for once because he was about to commit to Michigan. And then he went to Tennessee, didn't play at Tennessee, and he's now starting for Maryland. But their tackles are just kind of guys who sit at the line of scrimmage too. So this has been a – this is a team that does not get a lot of pass rush. And a team – and if you play a team like Penn State, who that's the way to kill them, I think that that's your answer right there. Yeah, so there's only one lineman for Maryland who has a – pass rush win rate above 10%. That's Denal Brown, one of their edges, and he's a rotational player. Mm-hmm. So not even a guy who really gets after it that much. Um, they do blitz significantly, and they do get a number of pressures on free rushers. That's been something that I've been picking up in the PFF stats as you'll look at a guy and he's got 21 pressures. You're like, Oh, that's pretty good. And then you look at his win rate and it's like 8%. And you're like, Oh yeah. <laughs> he coming. <laughs> and it's like, Oh, okay. Yeah. You didn't get blocked a lot. That's great. Um, so kind of like Michigan state, this is a defense where it's just guys. Like there's really nobody who jumps out as a particularly excellent player. Maybe Brown, the, the edge, they like him a lot, but you know, I don't see anybody on this team where I'm like, oh yeah, that guy could play at Michigan. Yeah, Ooh, that's the. Play. I think this is like MSU, right? Where it was the same thing, where everyone's between sixty and seventy on PFF. Uh, um, not quite as bad because they do like Donnell Brown and they do like Glendon Miller, but not that far off. Yeah, it's it's just sort of meh, you know, and then <laughs> that's this is my thing with Maryland every year. I'm like, Maryland is the most boring team on the schedule because they're never good enough that the game is interesting and they're never bad enough that we can just laugh at them and dunk on how bad their team is. And that's like, that's how I feel about the defense. Like the, these guys are all there. They've had some good weeks. They've had some bad weeks. Yeah, I, I mean, so Jay Sean Barham, the, the middle linebacker, has talent. He's a true sophomore. He hasn't really progressed from his true freshman year. And last year, and he's, he's still the same player as last year when they were really excited about him. But I think the excitement was based off of, you know, projecting 
what his play as a true freshman would be like once he got his feet under him, and he seems to still be that. They still, I don't know how many years it's been, four years, three years, have Ruben Hippolyte at the other linebacker spot. Like, they have tried nine, ten different guys starting in that spot other than Ruben Hippolyte, and they keep on ending up with him. And he's, I believe he's the guy that Donovan Edwards was torching a few years ago. So, like, they've still got that guy in there. And then you liked Bo Braid, who was a safety last year, who I thought nothing of. And I was kind of surprised that you picked him as your danger man. Now, on a team where no one is notable, you just kind of go with who who had the best game in the game you charted. And I thought he played pretty well against Ohio State. It, there's nothing much to it. And mm-hmm. as it turns out, this was basically last year as well. Early in the season when I charted them, I was like, well, I don't really know who the guy is. And. I'll just see who had the best game, and who had the best game was was Bo Braid. So I don't know. I just chart his best games or something like that. Well, it's worth noting that the Maryland Ohio State game, which was at Ohio State, was a twenty to seventeen game until there were ten minutes left, and that was with Tungavailoa throwing a couple of picks that were not really uh, induced by Ohio State. We'll see. There was a there was a pick six, and yeah. there was also. They turned it over on downs at the Ohio State, like 21. Um, and then they also drove to the two on second and goal and then ended up kicking a field goal on that possession. So their defense played more than well enough to win that game. It was the yeah. offense that let mm-hmm. them down. So total yardage in that was 382 to 302 in favor of Ohio State. And that was with sort of a, a late surge where they get, well, actually, it wasn't that late. Never mind. But that was like a third the quarter big... all of a sudden collapse kind of or late third yeah. quarter collapse is what it was. It was a it, Marylanding. The, 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 so that's kind of your baseline for your transitive property there. But you do have to take into account that this is the week before the Ohio State game. So both Michigan and Ohio State will probably play like butt because that's just the way of the world. So yeah. you know, I'm not expecting a cover in this one. I mean, traditionally this is like the 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 running out of the um of the defense that Ohio State's going to try against Michigan. The week before we play Ohio State, for some reason it's always like, okay, Indiana's going to, you know, double-team Winovich and Gary and just single the – you know, they always – it always seems to be like a, a, a running out period for uh, what's going to happen in the following week. And I'm wondering what they're going to try against Michigan's offense this year uh, to, to try to stop it. They have – they have more ability. Like I, we've seen Tarheeb still be like an NFL caliber cornerback before. Uh, like it's, <laughs> what? but then he falls apart sometimes. But then like sometimes he just like he, he disappears. He just well, that's it's kind of disqualifying for being an NFL quality cornerback. But I mean, he can uh, hang with guys. Yeah. Anyway, Alex, what prediction? <laughs> Oh, prediction. Um, I didn't hear the first part. Uh, 3117. Seth. Go 45-23. I think that uh, you know, it's going to be a rough game. All right. I'm going to say uh, 32 to 15. There we go. All right. We're going to take a break. Come back, talk some basketball. Hey, it's Nick Hopwood, founder and president of Peak Wealth Management, your MGO financial coach. And it is our goal to help you retire with peak confidence. Check us out at peakwm.com slash mgoblog. Bo says the team, the team, the team. Lately, my mantra has been the plan, the plan, the plan. Check out the Trust the Plan podcast. Search out my name, Nick Hopwood, on any platform and give us a follow. You know, we haven't updated this ad in over two years because since the last versions went live, we only had one Big Ten loss. And honestly, I'm a little superstitious. But for this ad, I just want to give a shout out to all the loyal Wolverines and MGO blog fans who've reached out to us from as far as France, Japan, Seattle, San Francisco, Dallas, Florida, New York, and of course, all over the great state of Michigan. And you guessed it, we're pulling recruits out of Ohio as well, just like Harbaugh. Thank you very much. So no matter where life has taken you after your time in Ann Arbor, we're here to help you build a plan you can trust. If you're looking for a second opinion, visit us at peakwm.com slash blog today. Hi, I'm Pete Cavarilla, owner of Sharon's Heating and Air Conditioning. We've been servicing Ann Arbor and Metro Detroit for over 40 years, and we know that the last thing you want to worry about is your heating and cooling system breaking down. Right now is a good time to sign up for our preventative maintenance plan, so you don't have to worry about it in November when the fourth quarters get interesting. Our maintenance members also get discounts and service calls, and you can rest assured our team plays tough in sun or snow and have never been called soft by Lou Holtz. Whether you need a tune-up 
are ready for a new system, or want to upgrade your air quality before winter, call us anytime or schedule an appointment on our website at SharonsHeating.com. Here's the thing people say. Seth, tell me about your insurance. I'm actually glad you asked me about that because I just changed my insurance and I'm really happy I did. Let me guess. You use Phil Klein and Owen Rosen of the Phil Klein Insurance Group. They are MGO blog readers and they don't advertise during football games. And they've got a five-star rating on anything you would care to see. Call Owen at 248-682-7445 or visit them online at philkleininsurance.com. One and two and... If you find yourself on the wrong side of the law, you want a Michigan man in the huddle. Call criminal law attorney and former prosecutor Jonathan Paul at 248-924-9458 or visit his website at michiganlawgrad.com. John is a proud graduate of the University of Michigan Ross School of Business and Michigan Law School. He looks forward to showing you the Michigan difference. Winewood Organics is Ann Arbor's only cannabis microbusiness for adults 21 and older. They're a grower, processing lab, and dispensary rolled into one, cultivating and producing flour, old-school hash, edibles, CBD products, and more. You can find them across the street from Kroger on South Maple, just west of downtown, and at winewoodorganics.com. Veterans and MedCard holders save 10% on all orders, and first-time customers save 25%, as long as you're not wearing scarlet and gray. MGO Radio 9.10. We turn our attention to the basketball team. Off to a 3-0 start and shot up 20 spots in Ken Palm, more or less. Their latest win uh, came on Monday against the St. John's team. That could be literally anything because it's Rick Patino's first year and they're all transfers. So who knows? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I called them Theseus's Rick Patino's team. For the well, people who got that joke. I think that there is some possibility that Michigan is benefiting from uh, expectations being higher for their opponents than the reality suggests, because St. John's is coming off a one-point win over North Texas, and UNC Asheville has dropped uh, 50-some slots after a loss to UNC Wilmington by 17 points. So... Maybe we should slow our roll a little bit, but these are 20, 30, and 16-point wins. The latter was a Ken Palm time kind of game where Michigan was up 25 in the second half of that game. And, I mean, the story is Doug McDaniel. So McDaniel's 6-10 from 2 in the, against St. John's, 2-6 from 3, 8-8 eight eight from the line, 7, turn, seven assists, 2 turnovers, and a couple of steals, also 3 offensive rebounds somehow. So McDaniel has made a, a leap, but that kind of game against St. John's is the kind of game that could give you some elevated expectations because they were very disjointed defensively. And McDaniel's able to get to the cup and have some shots that are virtually uncontested. And last year he struggled from inside the line because he's small. Yeah. And some of his shots this year have been floaters and the like. He seems that seems like he's really improved there, but I kind of like the team in general. I do want to like pump their brakes a little bit on McDaniel suddenly being Bray Burke, even though I made that joke on Twitter. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, he's a meat meat, right? He's, he was fast. And I think that that was, he's a guy that they, that St. John's going to struggle with partly because they still have name tags in practice and because they are not built, you know, for speed. They have like a couple, you know, their bigs are kind of big, slow uh, shot blocker guys. And when they're in position, it's really hard to get around them. But, you know, Michigan got in transition. Doug is seeing the court better than last year, but I don't think that Doug is seeing the court like you're, he's not going to be a 40 assist guy all year. I think it's, it's right to actually a 30 assist right now. And I don't even know if that's going to stay up, but he is showing that he can get up the court quickly which is going to create more transition opportunities. And, and speed is speed, right? Like that becomes a weapon that you can use in other ways. Yeah, and one thing about McDaniel is the team is utterly dependent on him, right? Yeah. The, 
he played 38 minutes against St. John's. And when he's not in the game and it's Namari Burnett trying to initiate the offense, that looks very bad. <laughs> that looks like it's a problem. And so Michigan is waiting for Llewellyn to get back so they can actually have a backup point guard. Um, <clears throat> but he's the straw that is stirring the entire drink at this point, And that's kind of a, a tenuous place to be. Now, the good news is it seems like there are guys on this team who can pop up and have games. Mm-hmm. So Namari Burnett was the guy against St. John's. 41 points, I think 19 of them uh, right off the bat. He did not score in the second half, but he's 4-7 from 3, 4-6 from 2, chips in a couple assists, three turnovers. That's not going to happen every game, but it's okay if it doesn't happen every game because you know the previous game it was Kamwa going off for 17. And even, I mean, Will Cheddar scored 20 points against yeah, him. Right. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. That's, that's, that's not going to happen every week? That's not, that's not going to happen again. <laughs> But you are so down on we, Cheddar, man. Like he's he, he can shoot. Like his last last year, his offensive output was not what it's going to be. He can be a shooter, but he's not going to be a a guy who can ride. He's not going to be a defensive presence. He's he's going to. We're hoping that Trey Jackson kind of asserts himself over Will Cheddar as your you know as your main six guy. Um, but like going to be hard when he's shooting seventy eight percent from three. <laughs> well, I mean, very sustainable. Everybody's hot from three right now, right? And Amari Burnett's sitting 46%. We talked about it this weekend about uh, or on WTKA about how he had a wrist injury last year, so that might be what he is. But he's taking a lot of contested threes, and he's hitting almost 50% of them. Terrence Williams is uh, is hitting almost 50% of his threes. You know, Kamwa is 4-7 on his attempts right now. So, I mean, they're everyone but you know Yo-Yo is making their shots. Well, the yeah, the volume here is is tiny but it is good to get a good start yeah guys who need the confidence i think are getting the confidence that's williams and cheddar in particular because those guys had awful shooting years last year and cheddar came into michigan and his main thing was he's a shooter Mm -hmm. so like sometimes early in careers or just the funk that was just laid over last year's team like gets to people and i think that the kind of shots that terrence williams is taking is very encouraging because you know he's not just shooting the wide open ones like he's getting a semi-contested look and he's like i can i can sean d brown this now it's not that level because that man was that man had no conscience (laughs) no if they were gonna do that it's burnett but yeah (laughs) but he's not a guy who's like last year it felt like he was afraid to shoot and given what he was performing like yeah maybe that was accurate but now that he's established some offensive efficiency early in the year, he can go out there and he can continue to shoot like he's going to be a plus player from that. And I don't know if that's going to you know, stick, but good start. Yeah. Um, and then the other side of the ball, there have been some rough parts because transfers early in the year, people are still gelling. But when it looks good, it looks great. So Terrace Reed is switchable. Mm-hmm. Uh, the team has to get used to that sometimes because I think people are offering Terrace Reed help when he does not need help. Right, right. Same with Tom- <laughs> he ran into Doug Same in the last Kamwa. game at one point. Yeah, yeah. So Kamwa had uh, a guard locked up and he was heavily contesting the shot, and Terrace went to help, and Terrace got out of position. The shot was missed. Offensive rebound, put back, and one. Mm-hmm. So I think as team goes along here and Terrace Reed gets used to playing next to Kamwa and being like, oh, right, this guy isn't Jet Howard. Right. <laughs> he'll, he'll, he'll take advantage of their ability to D up one-on-one better than they currently are. Yeah. Because, I mean, Reed in particular, I mean, he can guard one through five. And I, I think maybe he couldn't guard Doug, but that's the kind of point guard that would be a problem for, for Reed. His footwork's amazing. His his length is excellent. His uh, foul rate so far is uh, 1.9 per 40, which is a huge improvement over last year. And obviously that's going to be tested as we go along here. But he was at 6 per 40 a year ago, which obviously would be a death sentence on this team. So yeah, he's with a I high think, block rate too. I mean, he's blocking 5% of shots near him. 
Five is not a high block rate. Well, <laughs> ten, ten is a high, is high block. All right, I mean, yeah. Well, he's not a swatter yet, but I mean, he's. It's not like he's just keeping his hands down. He's going for blocks. Well, no, and he he has an appreciable steal rate. He's got good hands. Like he's an excellent rebounder, and I think they haven't quite gelled in terms of what they want to do. But all the pieces are there for this to be a very very good defense, mm-hmm. um, especially because. Doug is able to do what he does with a rock bottom foul rate, which is hugely important because if Doug McDaniel gets two fouls in the first five minutes of the game, it's, you know, yeah. party's over. We're yeah. going home. So, you know, they've got a little bit of a hiccup because the three spot is a little awkward because it's mostly been Terrence Williams who probably defends better as a four, but essentially you're trading Jet for Kamwa, which is a giant upgrade. And you're trading uh, Dickinson for Reed, which is also a giant upgrade. Right. So it's all about whether they can stop having the breakdowns, which I think they will. But because physically, there's no reason this can't be probably the top defensive team in the Big Ten. Yeah. Maybe Purdue. I mean, it changes things so much when you have other guys around you. When it when last year, when you had Cheddar out there with Williams and Dickinson, and it was. There were just so many places to attack that Williams was getting, you know, the third most athletic guy, or second most athletic guy on the team. He was guarding twos, right? And that's yeah. not what Williams can do. When you it the contextually, defense matters a lot. And Williams, he's a smart guy. He's been on the team a long time. He's played a lot of basketball. And I we talked about this in the preview where I said I think that he's, you know, he's their guy. He's going to be their three. Um, now Trey Jackson, there's a lot more to explore there. I'm not down on Jackson at all, but. You know, having Williams in this defense, he's slimmed down a little bit. He's a little bit faster. He can be a plus defender uh, just because he doesn't have to be put in a context where he's bad. And then the other thing that is changing expectations about the season is that the Big Ten appears to be butt. (laughs) So Michigan is actually the number two Big Ten team in Ken Palm right now. Purdue's number one. Michigan's number 24. So there's a big group of, of... Teams kind of trailing, but Illinois has lost to Marquette. Hmm. Michigan State lost to JMU and Duke. Wisconsin has lost to Tennessee and Providence, and both by double digits. Iowa lost to Creighton. Like nobody in the league has a win. Wasn't Ohio State tied with Oakland until like the last three yeah. minutes of that game? They have a six point win over Oakland. They lost to AM. Indiana escaped Army by eight points. They beat yep. Florida Gulf Coast by six, Wright State by nine. Like, none yeah. of these teams appears to be any good. It's so bad that it's a problem for Michigan because there is one team with a quality win, and that's Purdue, who beat Xavier. That's the only quality win the Big Ten has right now. So some of these teams are going to have to actually step up and play. Otherwise, it's going to be like a four-bid league. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can rank wins on uh, on Torvik right now just because everyone's only played one game, pretty much. And Michigan is the fifth best win in the country, the the one at Saint versus Saint John's. Nobody's played anybody right now. I mean, Providence, you know, um, I mean, the, big win, but that's a, about it. That's not like a. That's got to be by margin, right? It's not a WAB thing. It's. I mean, it's basically how have you done against Q two plus teams, and no one's played more than one. <laughs> So it's like a yeah, so yeah. it's efficiency margin. Yeah, that's fine. A, yeah. Um, well, and part of that is I I don't know if Orvik cuts out like the last five minutes of a game where the team's up twenty five because mm-hmm. yeah, Michigan won by sixteen, but that game was not at all that close. It was that was over by oh, they, about five minutes into the second half. Yeah, they were doubling him up, and then Patino put his starters out against Michigan's walk-ons and yeah. had them press. <laughs> just like that was well, that was very patino patino that's what you gotta do yeah but you know it looks like the basketball team will actually be uh fun to watch this year unlike last year <laughs> which is uh, a welcome development all right we're gonna take a break come back and briefly touch on what we saw in ufr maize and blue nation it's tom brady i co-founded autograph with one mission in mind change the fan experience for the better That's why I'm excited to announce the release of a new app that recognizes the biggest Michigan fans. The Autograph Fandom app gives you access to the best Michigan content, fan challenges, and exclusive rewards for diehard Wolverines, all for doing the things you already do, like listening to this podcast. 
Head over to the Apple App Store and search for Autograph Rewarding Fans and download today. Is your online store sluggish, outdated, underperforming? You may be suffering from chronic crappy website disorder. One in three online stores built by your brother's friend's nephew currently suffers from chronic crappy website. But now, there's hope. Introducing Human Element. Huel has helped hundreds suffering from CCW to turn their online stores around, creating fast, secure, and engaging online experiences that turn visitors into customers and put products back at the top of their search engine game. Before Huel, I had abandoned carts, browser errors, and poorly animated GIFs. Now, with Huel, I can focus on what I'm actually good at, running my business. Jeffrey, would you be a deer and pull the Ferrari around? Side effects may include increased traffic, customer conversions, better ROI, compliments, elation, and early retirement. Why live with the disappointment of chronic crappy website disorder? Speak to your human element consultant today to see if Huel is right for you. In southeastern Michigan, the yearly cost for a nursing home averages approximately 100000 It doesn't have to, though. Reed McCarthy founded Ann Arbor Elder Law after handling a tricky situation for his own family. Years of experience later, his boutique firm works with clients across southeast Michigan dealing with Medicaid planning, long-term care, and tax, disability, and family law, not to mention family dynamics. If you have a family member who may need that level of care, or if you're ready to start your own estate plan, Reed can give you a plan for the future. Visit AnnArborElderLaw.com or call 734 734- 945-9693. That's 734-945-9693. Hey, fellow Michigan fans, this is Matt Demarest, Realtor and Lender. For a decade now, you've heard me on the podcast talk about mortgages, and I've helped hundreds of fellow Michigan fans in that capacity, including Brian and Seth. But many of you don't know I'm a real estate broker as well. I promise to make buying, selling, or financing homes simple and cost-effective anywhere in the state of Michigan. Whether you're upsizing, downsizing, buying a vacation home, or building a real estate investment portfolio, send me a text or give me a call. It's never too early to make a plan, and the call is always free. My number is 734-882-8194. Again, 734-882-8194. Or you can find me online at realtorandlender.com. That's realtorandlender.com. Whether you want to buy, sell, or finance a home, or even all three, I promise to provide the experience so many of you have come to expect over the years. And as always, thank you, and go blue. NMLS 1011726, Equal Housing Lender. Welcome back to MGO Radio 9.10. Thank you to Desmond Jones for the interstitial music. And now we talk about the UFR. Right. So I just got the offense up because we had some YouTube issues. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm amazing, but I have not read it yet. I'm sorry, Brian. I was not yeah, able that's to, all right. <laughs> to get through it in the 10 minutes before in the middle of posting the Partridge News. And, you know, there's other stuff so, that's being posted. So. You know, the interesting thing to me is Michigan runs for 6.1 yards in attempt in this game, and I caught them making more mental errors in this game than I think I did in any other game of the season. So <clears throat> Michigan got a 70% on the blocking scores, which is which is pretty good against an elite defense. And I would say maybe half of their minuses or a third of their minuses were mental. Mm-hmm. And Clatt called one out on the broadcast when – uh, Loveland went for the guy who was going after the quarterback on a, a third and short that Michigan didn't convert. Barnard uh, went after the same guy that Bredesen went after on one play. You know, I think that they were rattled. Um, I think there's a lot of good reasons that they would be rattled. I mean, it's a road game. Uh, it's their first road game of the year and actually in an intimidating environment. Yeah. Your head coach got suspended when you were on the plane <laughs> before. <laughs> you know, it's... Yeah, I mean Penn State is is a loud place. You have to give credit to the you know they they make it hard to play there. Yeah, and then there were a couple plays that were like clearly affected by Michigan's silent count. Mm-hmm. So there was a false start where half the line moves and half the line doesn't. There's the inverse of that false start where 
they snap the ball and half the line moves and the other half doesn't. Right. <laughs> um, and then there was a there was the failed third down on Michigan's like eight uh, thirteen play field goal drive in the third quarter was Bredesen gets set up and he looks to the interior because he's going on the actual snap because he can't hear anything mm-hmm. and and Penn State is misaligned so they move a safety i guess he's a linebacker it's deluca he's 220 yeah. pounds yeah i call it hybrid um, yeah so they they move him over to bredesen's side of the field bredesen's not looking at him and if he's at home and he, he can look ahead at the defense he's like okay i gotta get deluca instead he's looking at the snap michigan snaps the ball and he's surprised to see deluca there he thinks he needs to block down on the end mm-hmm. and he he manages to change what he's doing and kind of give DeLuca a shoulder. But if he kicks that guy out, like he would normally, you know, uh, Coram yeah, has a lane of safety. Yeah. So, I, I mean, but, I, yeah, I was talking about all week, though, that Penn State has a difficult defense to get blocked up correctly. They like to get their defensive tackles upfield. They like to get their ends upfield. They are going to stunt a whole bunch. They try to make themselves well, hard to, to for, read. For the most part, that wasn't the case. Okay. Like for the most part, what happened was that Michigan had most of it blocked, and then someone made a mental mistake. Mm-hmm. So that, I mean, the blocking was was fine; it was excellent. And Michigan took advantage of Manny Diaz being Manny Diaz. So <laughs> Michigan did not have an official pass recorded in the second half, and my RPS for this game came out plus eighteen minus eight, so plus ten. Okay. They didn't throw the ball in the second half. <laughs> so, wait a minute. How how'd they do that without their science guy or their defense or their or their head coach or anything? That's Well, it's just I don't I'm going to Ohio State. Expect Manny Diaz yeah. to bring pressure on third down. <laughs> and the thing is is like you know the the play where uh Edwards almost scores his second hilarious third and long touchdown? Uh-huh. Like I think that's a bust by Cornelius Johnson cuz he's running a route. And if yeah. he cracks the safety, I think there's a pretty good shot at Edwards scoring. So, um, yeah, there, I there think- was another one I, I caught where I, I think the Penn State did not fit it right, right? And there's a, a there's an open lane. Loveland kind of got crushed down by the defensive end to kind of close that off. And then the end got his foot out and, like, tripped Quorum as he went by. And that was going to be another big, you know, big one, too. I'll show you that one. I don't know if you caught that. <laughs> that was – there. There was a lot of, you know, Penn State trusts their players to be really good, to close things off, to make up for the fact that they actually kind of get unsound. They get upfield, they get out of their lanes, they try to make plays. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a weird defense. Yeah. Because they're like, you know, negative 49 yards from Maryland. They just overwhelm a lot of teams. But if you have the discipline to do what Michigan did and stick seven offensive linemen on the field, like Penn State was able to respond, but but what they responded is that by adding a defensive tackle. Mm-hmm. So you've got seven offensive linemen for Michigan and AJ Barner, and that wing of the defense is a guy who's two thirty and a guy who's two twenty. And so what you get is you get the Ben Mason experience when he was playing defensive tackle, where they are putting their heads down and they are not going to get blown out of this gap, but they can't do anything about it because their head's down. And that's how you get the bounce on the duo for 42 yards. Yeah. Because a 220 pound guy has to take on Barner. And yeah, he like hurls Barner to the ground. Like, oh, great job. Just one problem. (laughs) (laughs) All right. What did you see defensively? I I mean, they, they were playing against Ohio state more than they were playing against Penn state. And uh, it was really funny that, you know, uh, an Ohio State idiot blogger decided to like use my RPS score at the end as evidence that you know the signs matter, um, but really I was I was giving out RPS minus ones, rock paper scissors minus ones, because Michigan was sitting in too high on every first down and just trusting their front to kind of make that make things happen, and sometimes they did, and sometimes you just had a defensive tackle who was doubled, and he you know he gets moved, and then the safety's not going to arrive until five six yards downfield. I had a great game for Page, and I went back over and was like, why did my scoring up so high? It's because he was firing down fairly quickly. So I think Michigan knew what they were doing, but they were also you know, they, they played their Ohio State defense, but they also recognized they were playing Penn State. And as soon as they wanted to lock them down, because you get into those, um, you get into the last drive, and 
there was actually a lot more opportunities for Michigan to have success than they got. Um, but like they, when it, whenever I, whenever I needed to dial something up, they did. And the one thing that Penn State had working for them is their running backs, especially Katron Allen, are just hard to tackle. You know, he just he's gonna, he's one of those guys who's just going to get low. Hard to bounce off, big big thighs, and he made Rod Moore miss on the one that Kenneth Grant ran down. Um, but everything else they did, you know, Grant was amazing. Uh, Graham is amazing again. Will Johnson is, you know, putting up another uh, All American day. And every time they targeted him, it was just like you know, dink, easy down. So it's been a. Um, you know, it, it was another game against an outmatched opponent, and this is what they do against outmatched opponents. All right. Well, yeah, did, that's the that's the story. Yeah, I mean, Colson, that was uh, that was the one little. I'm a little worried that that's never going to happen, especially since his linebacker coach got fired today. So, oh. yeah, yeah. All right, guys. See ya. She makes a vodka, makes it in her home. She makes a ruska, ruska, vodka, vodka, makes it all night long. She makes a ruska, ruska, vodka, vodka, singing this crazy song. is a mayor and a land surveyor with plans of his own. He hates Aruska, he hates a Volta, banned it from